Matthew chapter 13, would you go there for a few moments with me? One of the Bible says about a pastor and a leader in your church that you're, you're, you're helping to follow, uh, and I'm trying to lead the church and feed the church as your main pastor. There are many other good men of God who do that, and of course, in, in Chinese, Brother Joe Palmer in Spanish, Brother Andy Gomez in Sunday school classes throughout the ministry, good servants of Christ. But one of the things of every Sunday school teacher, every pastor, if we're doing our job, we're trying to watch for the souls of people. And the soul is, is your mind, your will, and uh, your emotions. It's kind of how we think and what we want and how we feel. And we're trying to get our soul, our thinking, our feelings, and our desires in line with God and His Word. Now, Obviously, you are in the middle of a tug-of-war with Satan as well. God has a plan for our lives, and then Satan has a plan. And Satan wants us to be temporal in our thinking. God wants us to be eternal in our thinking. Over and over in the Bible, he reminds us, lay up for yourselves treasures in no one here has ever been to heaven. We don't know what it's like except for what God tells us. That's, that's our future home. That's where I'm going to be living the rest of my eternity with God. But I'm not there now. So some of it's kind of hard for me to live for the eternal, especially when I have bills today. Especially when I have, have things that are pushing on me today. Uh, advertisement for beer and even sometimes popular, uh, popular preachers. You know, you've got to have your best life when? Now your best life now, or this is all there is. But that's opposite of what God teaches us. He said he put eternity in our hearts. But everything in this world is trying to keep you from thinking about eternity. And God is trying to tell us, listen, you've got to think about eternity. You can't get, in this world, we're, 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 we're just pilgrims. We're strangers. Because I don't want you to get too comfortable in this world. I don't want you to get caught up in the thinking of this world. Romans chapter 12. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed or changed by the renewing of your mind. How you think that you may prove or evaluate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is, what is it God's trying to accomplish? And God's commandments are not grievous. See, every once in a while people will say this, and I probably have said it, the Christian life is so hard. Yeah, it's so hard. It's not that hard. Living a life of sin is hard. Sin's the one that complicates life. Living for God is a good life. Living for eternity is not only good now, but it's good in the life to come. Amen. Having the promise of life that now is and that which is to come. The best way to enjoy both lives now and eternity is to live for eternity. Now, I can tell you that all day long, but it doesn't mean that I will practice it all day long. I know it here. I know what God says, and you know it. I mean, we can't argue with Jesus, right? But one of the things we find in the Gospels that Jesus continually tried to get people to think about is the kingdom of God. 
because it, it operates much different than ours. And the most uh, unbelievable message ever recorded is the Sermon on the Mount. It begins in Matthew chapter 5 and ends in Matthew chapter 7. And really, the Lord Jesus, from the very beginning, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, that just doesn't set right with me. I do not want to be poor one day in my life. And I certainly don't want to have a difficult time. I don't want to go through discouraging, distressing, or, or, um, or detestable times. I want to be accepted, loved, and happy. He says, sometimes in this life you live in, it's just a short time. It's only a dot on the line of eternity. Because one day the Lord Jesus is going to come back, and maybe sooner than we think. Many people have said, oh, yeah, they've always said he's going to come back. Here's what we do know. We're closer now to his coming than we've ever been. Okay? And great Christians have always lived with the understanding of the imminent return of Christ. I think theologians oftentimes, like Calvinism, it goes in waves. So does this idea that Jesus is going to come back after, after the tribulation period or in the middle of the tribulation period or after. I think it's a challenging thing. Now, there's some smarter people than me that feel like they can communicate that. But I think uh, it, it's, to me, very obvious throughout the Bible that Jesus is coming again. When I read the book of 1 Thessalonians, it doesn't end any chapter without reminding us that we're supposed to be anticipating the coming of Christ. Now, the last thing in the Bible, Revelation 22, verse number 12, Jesus speaks up before he closes the Bible out. He says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to every man according to his works. Let me make sure we understand something. Eternal life is not a reward. Eternal life is a gift. The only way someone spends eternity with God forever, there has to be a time and a place by faith. They take their faith off them, off of baptism, off of church membership, off of being good, off of their ancestry, and put it on to Jesus. It's faith in Jesus that determines your eternal destiny. But it's service and love and works for Jesus that determines your eternal reward. When someone goes to heaven, it's never because they... They, they were rewarded heaven for good things they've done. The Bible's very clear about that. Titus chapter 3, verse number 5, he reminds us, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he's saved. Everybody gets saved, gets saved the same way. God has mercy on them when they ask him to forgive them. That's it. When we put our faith on Christ. However, over and over in the Bible, and boy, there are people right now, there are theologians and there are preachers that are teaching that, that rewards are not in the Bible. I don't know how they can read the same Bible I'm reading. That uh, there is no, there's no one person's, you know, and I know heaven, heaven is, is, uh, is everyone who gets to heaven gets to heaven because of nothing they've done, only what Christ done. However, all through the Bible, Jesus talks about rewarding over and over again. The Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, verse number 6, you're familiar with it. The Bible says, with, but uh, it said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because him that cometh to God, when you come to God on his terms, you'll have to, number one, recognize who he is. And that's for salvation. Who is God? He's the Savior. He's the only hope of eternal life. You have to be saved. And then, that he's a rewarder of anyone who diligently seeks him. Now, that's a problem because 
The reason we don't forgive people that have hurt us, large in part, is because we don't trust God. We don't believe God can handle my business and my offenses and my injustices. That's why Jesus said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. When I hold a grudge, I'm off my rug. Because it's not my job to fix someone else's wagon. See, everything everything in life is determined by faith. See, when you have faith in God, you'll, you'll manage your finances differently. You'll manage your time differently. You'll manage your talent differently. You'll manage your family differently. It all rests upon faith. Is God a rewarder of them who diligently seek him? It determines if you will, how often you will attend church, how much stock you put in the scriptures, if I'm going to go soul winning, if I'm going to tell people about Christ, if I'm going to witness, if I'm going to give. All that's based upon faith. And Jesus throughout the scriptures, and I'm not going to do justice to it, but just looking at a couple things that Jesus did tonight, let's just look at it. Go to Matthew chapter 13, and Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. Verse number 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, which when a man hath found, he hideth. And for what's the next word? Joy thereof goeth forth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth the field. He said, the kingdom of heaven, this guy had an expectation. I don't know who he was, but he was stumbling through a field and he kicked something. And he's like, what is that? May walk back and started digging around. And he picked up and he saw, they opened this thing up and there is gold and silver and jewels beyond his wildest imagination. He can't believe it. He can't believe all that is there. And he closes it up and he covers it up with, with, uh, with, with dirt and he goes and finds out who owns the property and if they'll sell it. And with joy, he goes out and sells everything he has. Everything, now, a day before he found out, he wouldn't think about selling everything he has. But now he realizes there's a lifetime of unbelievable treasure in that field. But the only way he can get it is he'll have to sell everything he has to pay for that field. And then he gets the treasure, too. I don't know about you, but I I was thinking about being this guy. I'm trying to think... How many things would I go through my whole house and sell everything I have, every, every possession I have, to get something that, that, I'm, that, that is, that is uh, potentially available for me? I don't know about you, but it kind of messes me up a little bit thinking about that. But Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that. What would make someone with joy live a selfless life for 70 years You know what would do that? Is if you realize how valuable eternity is. Why would Nate Saint and Jim Elliott, when you read their stories, why would they give such reckless abandonment to go and reach a group of Indians who are headhunters and cannibals? Why would they spend prayers and investment and years of training and learn to fly an airplane and, and trying to befriend a group of cannibals 
to have nothing. Why would they do that? Because they had a, a, had a little bit larger view. John Jim Elliott said, a man is no fool to give out that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Only one life so soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ. He, he, was, he, was, he was eat up with eternity. He was, he was thinking about the eternity. He said, in the kingdom of heaven's like that. What would make a guy with happiness have a garage sale and sell everything he has? To get enough money to purchase, well, you know what would do it? He saw a treasure. He saw that field not as an old uh, piece of junk. He saw that field as, as gold. It's, it's, it's more than I could ever even earn. He saw something. Well, you know, God wants us to do the same thing. He wants us to see what's on the other side. Why would you forgive someone now that hurt you and has disappointed you, stolen from you? Why would you kind of say, you know what, I'm not going to spend a lot of time messing with that. You know why? Because you trust that God has a greater reward later. Why would we give aggressively in this lifetime of our time and our talents why would I sign up to go to a nursing home? Why would I get a driver's license to drive a bus and bring 50, 40, 50, 60 people to church every Sunday for, for years? Why would I do that? Because if I thought that God would reward me for that. Why would I give beyond my tithe? Some folks don't even give their tithe. But why would I give beyond that? God grows my tithe. If he gives me more, I get to give more. Return more. But why would I give aggressively beyond that? Why would I look for ways in which I can invest in the eternal when I realize that everything I give to God becomes instantly eternal? Let's look real quickly at another story back in Luke chapter 12. Once again, I'm just talking this evening. I don't think I've, that I'll do justice to this, this thought, but let's look if we can, please, at, at Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Jesus is busy and he's on his way to the cross. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he can divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? I am not going to waste my time doing this silly thing. He said, I can't believe it. Here we got bigger, bigger fish to fry and you're fighting over your brother not giving you enough money. He said, you're kidding me? You want me to stop my, my eternal purpose to solve a little problem between you and your brother. By the way, sometimes we get so petty with our little things that, that it just doesn't matter. There are so many bigger things. But if you get caught up and you become nearsighted and you forget how, how big it is to serve with God, you get caught up in stupid little things, arguments, fights, so many marriages are fighting over stupid stuff. It usually boils down to finances and selfishness. And our rights have been hurt. And, and, I, and I don't think anybody should be a doormat. And I think there's many, many folks need to humble themselves and ask forgiveness of God and others who they've hurt. But sometimes we get in all these little tit for tat. You're going to get an argument. Don't get an argument over money. Don't make that an argument. Here Jesus is put out. He says, man, that's like a modern day wig. Hey, man, you know. He said, man, are you kidding me? You made me a divider. I'm going to have to referee this. I'm not doing it. And then he follows it up with a story. Let's look at the story, if you can, please, in verse number 15. And he said unto them, take heed, watch out, and beware of what? The desire to have, then, you know, the itch for more. 
For a man's life consisteth not of the abundance of the things that he possesses. He said, your life is not about how much you have. He said, be careful about that. There's always, uh, you can always, uh, we feel more confident when we have more. I understand that. And God put inside of every one of us a desire to have, a desire to be, and a desire to do. It's in us. If it weren't in there, we'd all just be a big blob. Because every one of us have a desire to have something, which I don't think is wrong innately. A desire to do something, whether it be to travel or to go somewhere or to, to, to build a bus route. I mean, a lot of things are good things to do. But to do, to get married, to have children, uh, there's a lot of things that our flesh wants to do and a lot of things we want to have. There's nothing wrong with that innately. And things we want to be. You know, that, that's the pride of life. But it all has to be tempered with prayer, giving, and fasting. The thing that kind of keeps me in check with, with, with materialism is learning to give. That's why God wants us to give. He doesn't need our money. We need to give. He's a giver. We ought to be like him. Uh, I need, I need to have show restraint. I need to fast occasionally and afflict my soul because my, my soul is very strong. I need to, the desire to be, to be in control of something. That's why I need to pray. You know, most of us, we don't pray because we don't think we need to pray. I'll tell you what will change your prayer life. Put your little girl in the hospital. Have a stroke on the way home tonight. You'll start praying. Have the cancer this week. Tell, the doctor tell you you got cancer. You'll, you'll, you'll start calling someone for prayer. Have a major reversal in, in something you just never did. You got, you got blind. You'll start praying real quickly. You know what we don't pray? We think we got it together. We, we, we got it figured out. We got the pride of life. We think we're in charge. So God gives us those antidotes to keep us in check in regards to that. But this guy he said, look, it's not a... A man's life does not consist of the things. Be careful. Watch out for covetousness. Look at the next thing. He tells the story now. He said, got a parable in him. Now, a parable, of course, if you see this, a parable is, a, is an earthly story with a heavenly purpose. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So he's taking a story. This is not a real man. This is a story he's telling about an individual. Now, there are some real stories in the Bible. Uh, I don't think the, the rich man and Lazarus is a parable. I think it is a real story. You may have a hard time with that, but he, stories, parables, he doesn't give someone's name. Here, he, gives, he doesn't give a guy's name. He says, here's a parable. Here's an earthly story that you can relate to that's going to teach you a heavenly meaning. Let's look at, the, look at this particular gentleman's issue. Verse number 16. And he spake your parable unto him, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So this guy was wealthy, and he had a, bount, he had a bumper crop. He, he had a really good year. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat and drink, and be merry. And God said unto him, what does he say, the two words there? Now, fool, you're, you're, you're acting foolishly. 
because this night thy soul shall be required of you. You're going to die tonight. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Then verse 21, read it with me. So is he that layeth up treasure for? So he says, here's the, here's the story. He said, there's a fella. He's already wealthy, but he is getting more. He's had a great year. And so he says, what am I going to do? I've got so much. And, and so many of our life stories revolve around bigging, bigger, building bigger barns. That's our, that's our testimony. That's what we want to be known by. We're looking for success, and, and it means I'm, big and bu- I'm, 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 bigging, I'm building bigger barns. He says, I'm going, to do, I'm, going to, I'm going to build bigger barns. That way I can have all I can get, and I can get, and I'll have much uh, reserves for many, many years. Now, I think it's important. The Bible teaches that there's oil and treasure to be desired in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spends everything he has. I think if you read the Bible, you'll see that saving is important. But you also see that saving too much is a problem. Some of us do not know when enough is enough. We want to be secure. We want to make sure we don't have to depend upon anyone, even God. We want to make sure that we have all we need. Now, I think these thoughts, and you do too, so please understand when I point my finger, i got three of them coming back at me. we all got issues here. We all have that itch for more. He said, now, the whole reason I'm giving you the story is I don't want you to get caught up in covetousness. Because covetousness, the Bible says, is idolatry. Mammon. It's another God. God wants to be, he's one God, he wants to be worshipped, but he has competition, doesn't he? He has competition in my life of sports, time, hobbies, finances, security. He wants to be our security. He wants to be our all in all. He wants to be our life. And yet he has competition and we all deal with it. And he gave him the story. He said, look, this fella, he said, I'm going to build barns and I'm going to put more stuff in my barns and I will, I'll, be, I'll be set. I'll be good for the future. And the Lord gave him a very harsh rebuke. He said, you're an idiot. You're a fool. Because you're going to die, and then who's going to have all the stuff in your, in your, in your silos? Who's going to have everything that's in your barn? And then he says, this is the problem. This guy was rich in himself and not rich toward God. You know, I, I think there's several problems with this gentleman. One, and, he's, and I got the same problem. Number one, he focused on himself rather than God. How many of us have a selfish nature about us? Don't raise your hand. Unless you want to raise both of them with me, okay? Yeah. We all think about it. If we're hungry, we'll, we'll get something to eat. If we're cold, we'll tell them, turn the heat on. It's ridiculous. Where's my jacket? If we're hot, what's going on, man? Don't they know what air conditioning is? We pay big bucks to be in this church, you know. We're, 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 we're very self-centered. We're not comfortable if someone around us doesn't, doesn't, if they're talking a little bit, or someone's just, oh, I just, oh, I just, oh, I just drives you crazy. And usually it doesn't bother anybody but you. <laughs> but I, I don't want us to bother people. But we, boy, we think about stuff. If, if I'm not happy, ain't nobody happy. It's kind of the way it is. He said, this guy focused on himself rather than focusing on God and his will. I think another thing, he focused on things 
rather than life. He, he, he put all this stuff on stuff. And boy, there's a lot of earth junk out there, and, and I have it and you have it. We don't know when enough is enough. And sometimes I wonder why I have so much. And by the way, if you look at James chapter 5, I mean, man, James comes at it hard. He says, you rich man, weep and howl for the misery that's going to come upon you. When he talks about rich people, he's going to talk about people who have more than they need. He said, weep and howl. You're going you're gonna to scream and mourn. When? When you have to give an account of what you had. And that's not to say, well, I'm glad, Pastor, you're talking. I'm sure some rich people in here. I'm talking to you, Spanky. I'm talking to everybody in this room. We got more than we need. He said, be careful. He said, your, your clothes are moth-eaten. They've been, they've been stuck in a closet so thick you can't even put another set of clothes in there. You haven't matriculated your clothing. Your gold, your silver, you kept it in a bag. And it's turned green under your watch. You kept it way too long. And one day, when it's time to talk to you, talk to you from God, he's going to bring in your moth-eaten clothes. You know, you kept that for several years. You could have given that to someone. They could help with that. Let's get, let's get the, bag of, the bag of coins and all that turned green under your watch. See how much you left, gave away to someone and, Keep dogs alive somewhere in the humane society. Give it to money that people don't even tie. They won't even give it to, won't give part of it to the Lord. That means let's just see what you did. And they're going, to, they're going to be, they're going to be a witness against us. And we'll mourn in the last days when we see that. I'm telling you what, I, just scratching the surface of just a few things. He said, look, this guy, he, he majored on himself, not on God. He majored on things and not on life. And he majored on time instead of eternity. He thought, I'll have, I'll have enough for many years. Now, most of us don't, don't think about this, but our casket could be in town today. You've heard me say that a hundred times. But we don't really think about that too much. I feel, I feel pretty healthy right now. And uh, you probably feel pretty healthy. You, you may not think, you know, oh, I'm going to have a funeral next couple weeks. No, probably none of us are thinking that way. There may be a few people who are very sick who realize, okay, hang on a second, my body is failing me and I'm getting ready to exit this life. Most of us don't think about that. But this guy, he, he thought only about time as we know it instead of eternity. These are challenges because, you know, possessions himself, and we're not talking just about possessions, but it's got to start there. I, I believe with all my heart, you've got to start. We, we do time, talent, and treasure, but really I think if a person is not right in their finances, they won't be right on their time or their, or their talent. It's the basic. If someone can't figure out giving God a penny out of every dime, they are not going to be given their time. They're not going to be given their talent, so they won't be surrendered. Because you don't think about time every day, but you think about money every day. You don't think about your talent every day, but you think about money every stinking day, and I do too. Every day we think about it. It's a beginning place. Jesus knew it. That's why he said so much about it. Let's take a few moments and let's go to, sec, if we can please, to 1, Corinthians, uh, 1, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Our college students are familiar with the six principles. I hope they are. They've heard it enough, but, but sometimes retention is an issue. Verse number 17 of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
Of course, there are six chapters, each of them refer to a particular thing that we have to, if we're going to behave ourselves right in the church of God, we must keep our doctrine sound, prayer a priority, reaching people for Christ, training and discipling others, being a good testimony, treating people right, and handling our finances with wisdom. So chapter 6 is about finances, it's about working diligently, associating carefully, living contentedly, and giving generously. Paul tells this young preacher, he says, Timothy, this is not going to be easy for you because you're always afraid. But he said, he said uh, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power to do what you're supposed to do, to love as you should love, and to think as you should think. He said, neglect not the gift that is in you to lead people. And I want you to do something that's not going to be easy for you to do, but I want you to charge people who have more than they need. Look, if you would please, at verse number 17. Charge them that are rich in this world. They have more than they need. Once again, that, that means us in this room. I don't know anybody in this room would not be there. There may be a few. But in this world, charge them. And usually, people who, who are not have more than they need are because they're not op- obeying Bible principles. They're not working diligently. They're not associating with wisdom. They're not content, and they don't give. I have people that, you know, my name is Jimmy. Take all you give me. If I ask them, I said, are you giving faithfully your tithe to the Lord? Oftentimes they'll say, no, no, I haven't done that. And one of the reasons they don't have what they need is because they do not give. Some people, they don't have what they need because they do not work. Some people, they don't have what they need because they do not, they, they're, they're sleeping when other people are awake. They're sitting down when other people are working. They're, they're spending when other people are saving, and then they have needs. Now, and that's not always the case. All of us will go through times where it's not our fault, Something has happened. Come on, like Job. Job, it wasn't Job's fault that he got broke. That was a trial he went through, and we don't want to blame each other, but, but you have to do the checkup from your own self and say, am I a diligent person? Am I responsible? Am I content? Am I a giver? And find, usually when you get in that circumstance, you, you have what you need. God gives givers something to give. When you want to give, you'll have a chance to give. If you don't want to give, you're going to, you're going to make excuses not to do it. But he's amazing in that way. And he says, give and it shall be given to you. God is very good, good at that. I need to hasten, but let's look real quickly at his charge. He says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. When you have a little bit more money, you have to be careful that you're not proud. When God blesses you, be careful and realize, stay low and go slow. No one ever fell off the floor. Realize, okay, you didn't get here by yourself. No one pulls them up from their own bootstraps. No one makes themselves the great. But for the grace of God, you couldn't make two and two four. But for the grace of God, someone would be feeding you oatmeal tomorrow morning, spoonful after spoonful, when you couldn't even move your arms. But for the grace of God, you couldn't walk. I have a sweet young man I met recently, had the joy to lead him to Christ because of, um, because of a friend of his. But, was, but uh, here's a healthy guy, was in the military, and all of a sudden, he wakes up one morning, he can't walk. He's got children, he's got a wife, got a job. He can't, even, he can't even go to work. He can't walk across the room. Just something that's just attacked his entire system. Talk about something to humble you real quick. He said, if, if you've got more than you need, first of all, watch out. Don't be proud. Don't be high-minded. Look at the next one. He says, Timothy, tell them, not to be, nor to trust in what kind of riches? 
you know, every day they want to tell you how the stock is doing, the New York Stock Exchange. Every day, almost any time of the day, you can go to a cable television, they'll tell you it went up, it went down. It's never the same. Because riches are uncertain. They're up and down like a yo-yo. Crypto. It's down. You know, you got up, you got things up and I said, uncertain. He said, if, don't be proud and don't put your stock in uncertain riches. The proverb says, riches make themselves wings and they do what? Fly away. Your money talks, it says goodbye. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what your money says. <laughs> you can't keep it at home, right? He said, be careful that you don't put your trust in certain riches because God wants our faith. But in the living God who giveth us richly all things to what? By the way, you ought to enjoy what God gives you. This is not a, this is not a sermon to say, you know, you just make yourself poor and beat yourself on the back and, and uh, run around naked. No. It's okay to have clothes. It's okay to have food. It's okay to take care of your family. It's okay. Now, you have to decide where God's liberty will let you have it. But you do have to figure out when's enough enough. He said, make sure you're not trusting. One trouble that I have with Linda and I is it seems like when we, when we have saved a little more money, my mind keeps thinking about how much money we have. When I had a little bit of money, I never thought about it because there wasn't anything there to think about. I remember the first time we got $11,400 in our savings account. We thought we were going to become, you know, exchangers on the New York Stock Exchange. I was just trying to think, man, I've never had this much money before in my life. And I didn't have it very long. Because, uh, man, I, we were just talking about, man, we're doing so good. It was just kind of a freak thing. We had, had just some crazy things happen. I found a car, sold it, and made some money on that. Got a tax tax to refund. And, and uh, Linda was working for someone, and, and they didn't pay her for a long time. She's like, should I just stop working? Said, I don't know. She said, just keep doing it. We'll do it. And then finally she got funded, and she paid Linda. And we, all of a sudden we were looking at $11,400. I thought, man, I'd never had this much money in my life. This is unbelievable. I cannot wait. We got to think about what we can do with it. How can we invest this? Then I got a phone call, and they said, they need a pastor at a church in Long Beach, California. I said, well, I hope they find one, you know, and that'd be great. <laughs> I remember going out to the church, and, and they told me, they said, you know, said, no, we really want you to be our pastor. And I said, well, Linda's expecting our fifth child, Drew, and, uh, and uh, we'd, I'd like to try to keep her out of an apartment. We've already lived in apartments. We know about that. It's up and down and doing laundry and all that stuff. We can get a house. It'd be great. Oh, they said, no problem. And when I showed up to look for a house, they said, it's a problem. There's only three houses in Long Beach listed today for rental. We can't find rental houses. I don't know what's the matter. I remember going to, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to call them. I'm going to try to find a house if we can. And I remember trying to call. And I was getting ready to call, and a guy walked by, and he said, hey, my real estate agent's on the phone. I said, okay. You can talk to him. Talk to him. I said, okay. He goes, hey, Mr. I'm Adolfo, and I'm in charge of the real estate, and we're going to, we hear you're new here, Pastor. We want to help you. I said, you got a rental house? Because I got a few of those there, but you got to buy houses. No, I can't buy houses. Southern California, there's no way I could do this. And I've already taken a pay cut from being a principal of the school to coming to be a pastor of this church. It's just not going to happen. He said, well, you know, you're a pastor. You ought to pray. Let me work at it, you know. I said, oh, yeah, I'm a pastor, huh? You know, and so, don't you trust God? You know, I was like, hey, watch it now, buddy. He said, there's a, there's a, there's a house down on, on Magnolia Avenue, and he said, it's, 
He said, don't get too discouraging to look at. It's a bank repo, but the bank has re-roofed everything. They've plumbed everything. It's pretty plain, Jane, and there's no grass in the, in the yard, and, and everything is one color, but, you know, it's a, I think it might be a good house. Said, How much are they asking for? They said, oh, they only want 214000 I said, I cannot do that. What's the payment going to be? No, I can't do it. And uh, he said, well, go look at it. I went and looked at it. Make a long story short, he said, uh, I said, what do you think? I said, I think, it, I think it'd be an unbelievable place, but I just don't think we can give that. He goes, well, I'll tell you what. Let's just give, we, give, me, your, give me your information. And he goes, man, you got a great credit score. You know, you're gonna do, you can get this house. I said, I don't know, man. Check and see what's going on. He said, I'm going to pray every week, and you pray, and you pray. We'll see what happens. On Monday, I gave him my information. Friday, he called me and said, hey, Pastor Wilkerson, he said, um, the bank just got back to me. They'll sell you the house for $173,000, and they'll pay the closing cost. I said, really? So that's pretty good. He said, there is a catch, and I'm sorry about this. And I realized if we, if we don't get this, we can probably find another way. But um, they're asking for $11,000 tenured money. He said, you can't borrow it from your mom or your dad or your uncle. You just got to have it, you know. And I, I know most people don't have $11,000, but... He said, he said if, you, if you don't have it, we've got to figure out another way to maybe do finance, but that's what they want. They want a down payment, 11000 They want to know that you have it already. So would you happen to have 11000 I said, I've never had $11,000 in my life, but I have it right now. I said, I have $11,400. He goes, you're kidding me. Where's your bank? And he, I gave him the bank. He called the bank and he clarified it, and he called back and said, you got the house. <laughs> and, you know, I, I went there, went to California with $400 in my pocket but I had a place to move. You know, I think about, think about some stories like that, and I think about how God, we can trust him. We can trust the living God. And we lived in that house for 13 years before we moved here, and so blessed by, by the opportunities that God gave us. But he, he knows what we need when we need it. But he said, I don't want you to put your trust in uncertain riches. Look at the next thing he says to them, and we'll conclude with this verse 18. That they do good, because I want you to enjoy the good things, but he said, I want you to remember that, they, that the, the rich, people who have a little bit more than need, that they do good. And that means good, it means to give. You ever, you ever seen the list of, of, of the nine uh, in, uh, attributes? He said, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness. What's the next one? Goodness. And that means taking the goods that God's given you and sharing it. A person who is good gives. Um, he said, uh, he talks about it in the book of James, to him that knoweth to do good. When a person knows they're supposed to give and they do it not, what is it? Sin. So when you know God's impressed your heart to do something, you don't do it. In context, he's talking about giving. He says, look, if you've got people that have more than they need, remind them. Those who have eternity in view, consider this. He said, don't be high-minded. Don't trust in uncertain riches. He said, I want you to enjoy what I give you. That's fine. But he said, I want you to learn to give. That they be rich in good works. There's two works, good works and dead works. Dead works stay in this life. Good works go to eternity. Ready to distribute. Excited about giving. What does God want me to do? What does he want me to, where does he want me this to go? Willing to what? Communicate. And the communion doesn't mean, oh, I just get to talk. No, that means you get to share with what God's given you. 
Then he says, verse number 19, read it with me. This is a beautiful verse. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the, that they may lay hold on. What is Jesus, what is, what is God trying to tell Timothy here? He said, you remind people that giving is where it's at. When you learn to give, when you learn to invest your time, your talents, and your treasure, you're taking hold on eternal things. And you're preparing yourself for the time to come. The time that God, by the way, if you live another 30, everybody wants to talk about uh, you know, retirement, and I don't think it's wrong to talk about that. But they oftentimes say, 30, next 30 years, how is it going to go? What you need to think about is next 30 million years. There's a beautiful story, and I'll close with this thought. Years ago in our country, there was the Civil War. And the Civil War was the, the South, and the North was the Union, the Confederate and the Union. But if, let's suppose that a, a Northerner, a guy from the North, was living in the South during the Civil War. And he has accumulated a lot of Confederate finances, money. And he's got hundreds, maybe thousands of Confederate bills in his safe, in his wallet. But then he finds out that in just a few days that uh, the leader of the South is going to surrender to the leader of the North. And as soon as he does that, how much is that Confederate money going to be worth? Nothing. If he has an inside track on that doing, what would be the best thing for that guy to do? To convert that Confederate currency into Union currency. You know, that's what God's asking you to do. You only, you only have a short time, and we have an inside track on what's going to happen in world events. Jesus is coming again. And if he doesn't come back real soon, you're going to go see him soon. And then everything that you have, your time, your talent, and your resources will stay here. It will come to nothing. And so it's a good idea for us to make in, the, in eternal. Rather than going to the north, let's take it to eternity. And it goes right with Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus is telling you, look, while you're here and this time, there's going to be a surrender coming up real soon. And you want to make sure that you've invested for eternity. This is why you want to get involved with anything that would involve your time, your talents, and your resources. Let's pray together, can we?